In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good Friday is the hardest day of the year. It is a day when in our religious imagination we try to grasp the depth of Christ's suffering for us on the cross. And tonight I want to speak about the cross as not only about atonement, but speak primarily to what Luther called the theology of the cross, that Christ not only suffered for us, but suffered and suffers with us. This is a commentary on our readings in Isaiah and Psalm 22, which depicted the horror of Christ's death in words that I could not begin to imitate. Fleming Rutledge speaks of Good Friday as an unrelenting day. It is unrelenting, she says, like the regimes of Hitler, Stalin, Paul Pot, Edi Amin, and many, many others who throughout human history have mercilessly put people to death by torture. In the last six weeks, we have once again reading in our daily news feed about the kind of torture that produces terror in a whole nation and perhaps the world. More mass killings and mass graves, the bombing of innocent civilians, a madman on the dis intent on the destruction of an entire nation. And for we who are children of the Cold War, the unthinkable we thought would never happen again, the specter of nuclear annihilation. I have struggled with this all Lent, and this meditation is the result of that struggling. Real human suffering and the evil intent of those who inflict it is unrelentingly still with us in the 21st century. And hearing these stories coming out of the Ukraine, I have cried, as I'm sure many of you have, how long, O oh Lord? And so we must look to the cross. And I find any human simple explanation of the presence of evil in our world to fall so short. I cringe when I hear people voicing their opinions by trying to rationalize that God allows this suffering to happen because for whatever reason, he wants to keep us strong or he wanted a baby to become an angel. There can be no predicate to why God has stopped the evil acts of humankind because any reason that is given makes God somehow complicit in the evil. The theologian Henry Blochet says this, the problem of evil remains without any rational solution. The phenomenon does not belong to the order of creation. The abhorrent nature of evil, the goodness of God, and his absolute sovereignty assign to evil its position of being an unjustifiable reality and a wholesome reaction against it should be one of shame and indignation. So the cross 
is not so much an answer then, but a cry. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is in that cry, a cry of love and forgiveness for all that Christ took upon himself, that the impenetrable mystery of evil meets the paradoxical mystery of the cross. Evil is conquered as evil because God turned evil back upon itself. For as evil culminates in murder, God responds to evil by using the very stranglehold of evil with a murder of the only righteous person who ever lived. And thus by Jesus giving up his life to be murdered by an evil act, he conquers it. He willingly suffered for all of us, but he conquers by love, not by power, because there is no greater love than to give one's life for one's friends. And the enormity of the evil cast upon Christ is unfathomable. It was an exceptionally long and gruesome method of torture. And the Romans did not crucify their victims in some secret dungeon or try to deny the terror they were committing against their subjects. Crucifixion was a very public event. And these were horrific scenes, completely naked men enduring agony while a public just passed by hearing their cries and labored breathing, which sometimes went on for days. In the words of Isaiah, Jesus' appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jews and Romans alike considered one who was crucified as one who did not desire did not deserve to live. It was intended to be disgusting and offensive to all who passed by. And the purpose of making it public was so those who passed by could jeer and mock those who had been condemned as unfit to live. The cross is a powerful proclamation of the only way evil could be conquered it shows how death, the secret goal of sin from the very beginning, is of necessity ultimately eradicated by death. The death of a God who could only suffer our human pains for us by becoming a human being. And while dying, he uttered words of hope to the whole world, to us, Father, Forgive them because I love them and want them to dwell with me forever. And Christ's suffering can continue, therefore, to offer hope to those who are still in the grips of evil acts and death. There are stories of the meaning of the cross for those who have had to face evil as Christ did. Recently, I heard Bishop Grant La Marquand, who was formerly the Bishop of the Horn of Africa, 
reflecting on the question of innocent suffering by sharing what he had seen and learned in Africa, which he has given me permission tonight to use his words. In his words, Africa has been, been the victim of harsh and cruel colonial rule of the exploitation of human souls and slavery, of corrupt and greedy post-colonial tyrants, of war and famine and disease, and in many parts of the continent, of persecution of Christians for their faith in Jesus. And yet, in post-colonial Africa, the number of Christians grew from maybe 10 or 15% to over 50% of their population. Bishop Grant shared how he has seen in Africa a church that is permeated by prayer and enthusiastic worship with an enthusiasm for the gospel that looks outward to a world in need and offers a message of grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And so he believes we all need to turn to our African brothers and sisters to ponder the question of suffering because African Christians have suffered and their response to the situations of adversity may help us to respond more deeply when we encounter hardship. Two examples of this stood out for me that I have been carrying for months when I heard him speak. One was in the Sudan where by far the most pervasive biblical symbol is the cross. Sudan has endured now 50 years of civil wars bordering on genocide and extreme famine. But for the Christian minority, the cross is now appearing on the tops of their huts, replacing the forked stick which had marked the presence of their animist gods. Crosses are carried in worship, not as in the Western churches by a lone crucifier, crucifer, but by each member of the congregation who carry their six to seven foot long crosses into worship, where they are used to mark the pulsating rhythms of Sudanese singing, much as in the same way as spears functioned in their animist religions. The cross figures primarily in their worship songs. The story of the cross of Jesus is often seen to be the only story which can make sense of the suffering of the people of the Sudan. And the cross for them is a symbol of the transformation of violence and hatred into a profound symbol of the self-giving love of God. One Sudanese artist told Bishop Grant, all those who receive the gospel will suffer, and so do we. In this day, the RPG is used as a tool of killing against our people, as certainly as spikes were used to crucify Jesus on the cross. Still, we carry within us the hope that we will ultimately have victory through the cross of Christ. Bishop Grant also shared a poem by Gabriel Satiloni, a theologian from South Africa, obviously also a place of suffering under racism and apartheid 
for the black population of that country for generations. I'm going to read you part of this poem. Tell us further, you African, what of Jesus the Christ, born in Bethlehem, son of man and son of God, do you believe in him? For ages he eluded us, this Jesus of Bethlehem. He came, this son of man, like a child delayed he came to us. The white man brought him. He was pale and not the sunburnt son of the desert. As a child he came. And yet for us, it is when he is on the cross, this Jesus of Nazareth, with hold hands and open side like a beast at a sacrifice, when he is stripped naked like us, browned and sweating water with blood in the heat of the sun, yet silent. That and then is when we cannot resist him. How like us he is, this Jesus of Nazareth, beaten, tortured, imprisoned, spat upon, truncheoned, denied by his own, and chased like a thief in the night, despised and rejected like a dog that has fleas for no reason. Or was there a reason? There was indeed, as in that sheep or goat we offer in sacrifice, quiet and uncomplaining, its blood falling to the ground to cleanse it as us, and making peace between us and our fathers long passed away. He is that lamb. His blood cleanses not only us, not only the clan, not only the tribe, but all, all humankind, black and white and brown and red, all humankind. Thus, Bishop Grant concluded in his paper, and I quote, the problem of continued suffering in our world cannot be answered in a syllogism. No syllogism can provide a satisfying response. The cross, cross rather, is a personal response, a relational response from God himself, who emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. The writer of Hebrews attests to Christ's willingness to obey the Father. Christ said to the Father, here I am. I have come to do your will. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God's unrelenting desire to love his people and transform them by relating to us, by creating a way for us to be in relationship with him, is spoken in the cry of the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This cry must console us. It must offer us hope that his second coming will decisively wipe away every tear. The paradox of the cross is that what is finished has not yet come. It is hidden from the world. 
But Christ still comes to us sacramentally by reminding us each time we approach his table the depth of his love for us. So living in the reality of a God who suffers with us, who has paved the way for us to the holy of holies, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen.